Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Metal Mike, and in this episode of the 80s Glam Metal Cast, I talk to a legendary vocalist, solo artist, and formerly of TNT, Tony Harnell. Now, I'm a big TNT fan, and I definitely nerd out on this one, so I'm saying sorry in advance. We talk about what Tony's up to today, and we hear tons of classic stories from his time in TNT. Check it out. Tony, welcome to the 80s Glam Metal Cast. How you doing tonight? I'm doing good, Mike. How are you? Great, sir. A pleasure to be talking to you. I've been a fan for a long time. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. So you've had some uh, new albums out recently. You've had the Love Killers album. You've had Starbreaker new album. What do you want to say about these releases, Tony? I was just, you know, it was cool um, to be able to put two albums out in one year. I haven't put out a lot of music uh, in the previous few years, so I've been doing a lot of touring um, with a couple of bands, but I had not released any new new material. So that so that was really cool to be able to do that last year and have two records out plus plus a uh, plus a live DVD that uh, that they put out in the middle of the year. So that was that was pretty good. Um, I, yeah, I'm proud of them. Um, I thought Starbreaker was really special and has some really special qualities, and uh, uh, it's always great working with Magnus. And um, yeah, it was nice to get the Love Killers album out before the end of the year as well. A lot of people seem to like that one. One thing for sure that stands out is your voice. I mean, your voice is still intact. Sounds incredible. You've got the harmonies there. I mean, it's 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 amazing. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, it's nice to uh, it's nice to you know it's what I do and I love doing it. So um, I, I'm I'm lucky and and grateful that I still can do it. Okay. <laughs> <Pretty well. laughs> yeah, I think you're doing better than okay. Um, oh, thank you. When you hear people say today, and this comes out a lot from a lot of artists, they'll say, you know what, I'm not going to make any new music because there's no money in it. What do you think when you hear somebody say that? I understand it. I think I think um, simplifying the statement the way you did is possibly a little bit unfair. Um, but I understand why people do. I think I think in today's climate where um, streaming has become so prominent and and we lost uh, physical sales, um, you know, I mean they're still there, but I mean for the most part they're not. Uh, and 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 the outlets for musicians to um, survive and make a living have dwindled, and uh, everybody, you know, most people can pretty much get their music for free. A lot of people use YouTube and don't even pay for it, so. Uh, uh, and then, of course, the, the really inexpensive streaming services um, don't pay artists much at all. Even if you have a million or so or, or whatever streams, you don't really get a lot for it. So I think it's fair for an artist how hard we work on the music and how long and many how many hours it takes to, um, to write, record, mix, master, and, and get something out and all the artwork and whatever we put into it, maybe videos and the money spent or the time spent. And just the love and the creativity that goes behind it, forgetting about the time. Um, you know, it's a lifetime of, of 
experience and uh, creativity that goes behind these things. So, um, so I, I understand, but, um, you know, I think it's going to change. And I think that what I do like the trend that I'm seeing that I really enjoy is, uh, the trend back to shorter albums. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that it became a kind of a singles market for a while, but rock bands do records because an album is a work of art, usually from beginning to end the way, the way that the songs flow together and, um, you know, oftentimes artists have a sort of an idea of what they want a new album to sound like as a whole. So I, I like the idea of the shorter album because you're still getting new music out there. And honestly, most of the albums that were coming out in the 90s and early 2000s with 12 and 14 and 15 songs, um, you know, you'd be lucky if there were eight or nine good ones. So just put out eight or nine songs, you know, 10, 10 tops. Um, but I think it's, it's, it, if you have something to say and you feel creative, maybe, maybe even just with a few songs, put out an EP if you don't want to put out a whole album. But I do think it's cool to put out something new and whether you play that stuff live or not, the next time you go out and, and play shows, you know, maybe a song or two just for yourself. And I don't think the fans mind that. Um, and if it happens to do something and they, and it, it catches on a little bit, then you play more, but. I think it's. I think the fans like it. I think even if you don't play a lot of it, I think they like to see, put you know some new music out there. And honestly, I think even a song or two once in a while, um, it, it's nice for people to see that you're remaining creative on some level. But there are a lot of acts out there that just continue to tour year after year after year without any new music, and uh, and they're they're not uh, you know the people are still going to those shows because they want to hear those old songs. But so it's not something they, that a lot of them have to do. It, so so it really comes down to um, whether they want to. So I, I understand the argument from a lot of artists that have have decided to do that. Um, and I'm not sure it's just about the money. I think a lot of it's just about the lack of promotion and the lack of interest that seems to be there. I know as a fan, I mean, I'm always looking to hear new music. And I think, especially since I've done the podcast, a lot of times I'll deep, I'll dig deep into an artist's new release, and uh, and it's really great. The more you listen to something, the more it catches you. You know, you get into it, 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 it catches on, and um, yeah. And it just reminds me of the old days. You know, when when I had an album and I'd listen to it every day, and I'd go on. It was on the radio. It was on MTV. Those are the components that are kind of lacking today. You know what I mean? That that hinder you to get into an album like you used to. That's very true. I mean, you know, uh, I grew up in the days where, you know, uh, you, you, you get a you get an album and you get it home and you open it up and you, you know, sit and listen to it while reading the lyrics and the liner notes. And, um, you know, I found myself by the time I was a teenager, I knew who all these producers were um, because I read every single word of the liner notes, uh, all the thank yous. I knew who all these people were um, before I was even interested in who they were. You know, just because I really love the band. So um, uh, I, I do think that's missing, and I think the, the experience of just shutting out the world and listening to an album. We have these phones now. Most people listen to, to new music on their phones, and, and it's, so dis it's distracting. You know, you have all these notifications coming in, right. and people are messaging you, and emails, and da-da-da-da-da. It's like, no, you have to, you have to shut the world off, put an album on, sit back with some nice headphones on or great speakers and take it in 
that that's what the artist intended for you to do um is enjoy enjoy it fully not just in passing you know so that that that's a lost art too listening is just as much an art as as uh playing or performing so a few months back uh i talked with uh ronnie and it was mm-hmm. awesome he, he's a he's a character i love his accent i mean it was a great conversation um, mm-hmm. he had mentioned that he wanted to do a side project with you that just wasn't TNT, just something different where you guys could like a new playground. Uh, are you game for doing something like that? Well, we've been taught that's not, well, to me, that's nothing new. It's, it's probably, it's new, uh, to, to everybody else who heard it, who likes the band. We've been talking about that for many, many years. We just never had the, the time, uh, to, to really, you know, go into that, but, um, oh yeah, I mean, it, we probably have songs that we can, you know, uh, that we can take up. I mean, we did, uh, quite frankly, some of the TNT albums we did in the late nineties could have probably would have been more suitable, um, to be something like this, a side project, uh, rather than a TNT album. Cause they were so sort of out there and, and in all, you know, in all fairness, he and I wrote uh, a lot of that stuff, you know, privately, just off in our little world. Um, we wrote uh, Transistor in Spain. Uh, we wrote quite a bit of Firefly, just holed up in, you know, his um, up where he, he is, his studio is. So, no, it's a great idea. I'd love to do it. Um, and, uh, Hopefully we'll. Right now we none of us have anything but time, so right. hopefully uh, we can get a couple things together. It's, it, I don't love working with him long distance because we have such a connection in person, but um, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, that's something I wanted to ask you about. Is that you guys have a obviously a major chemistry, musical chemistry between each other, and it's funny because mm. you're kind of from different worlds, different continents. I mean, I, what, what, does that still blow your mind when you think about how the kind of music you make with this person who's from a totally different walk of life than you? Yeah, that's the beauty of music, isn't it? I it mean, is. you know, a surfer kid from San Diego and a Viking, you know, from the <laughs> dark, dark, cold country up north um but you know it's all about my influences uh and the kind of music that i wanted to do at the time that that opportunity came around uh when i was 21 years old and i got into tnt uh he heard me first from some random demo that somehow got into his hands uh and um heard something that he thought would work. And, and when I heard his guitar playing and, and his riffs, I, it was literally like, <clears throat> wow, I can't wait to get my, to get my voice on that. So it was, um, it was exactly the right time. Um, and, and the influences were, were just perfect for what I was into and for what my favorite bands were. So it, it's the music, uh, that brought us together and made us brothers. And I think the fact that we were from such different backgrounds is what made our songwriting so special because it took us about a year, maybe not quite a year, actually, but um, at least six months to eight months of, of working together live and on the first album, which I did not do a lot of writing for before we started to legitimately write songs together. But when we did it, it was pretty instantaneous that it was working. 
and the uh, the, the the sort of um, whatever American influence I brought into it, combined with what where he was coming from, really seemed to just sort of automatically create something fresh, which I think is um, is really cool. We just didn't we didn't try to be something. We just started writing, and then we went in and you know sort of made the music with the band, and it just sort of became this thing, which I think is the beauty about it. Oh yeah, is is he kind of uh, critical of himself? Because I think he said he goes, I don't think I've ever made a, a perfect album yet. And in me, I'm thinking like, really? I'm thinking mm. you got a shitload of perfect albums, in my opinion. But mm. yeah, I agree with him. I mean, people ask me. I just did a, a Q and A on Instagram. And uh, someone said, what's, what's the best song you've ever written? And I always say the same thing, which is I, that I haven't written it yet. Mm-hmm. And I'll probably say that till I'm not here anymore, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, or till my last breath, I should say, because I won't be able to speak when I'm not here anymore. That's true. Um, but, um, yeah, I agree with him. I, I think we've made some nice, I think we've made some good music and we've made some, some, some cool, um, we've had some cool moments and some that I'm real proud of, but, um, the perfect album? Not yet, not yet. I hope we, I hope we make one. I, you know what? The, when, you, when you say the word "perfect" with any art form, it really doesn't apply. True. Uh, I think, I think it's an objective thing, and art is not uh, sports. With sports, you know, you either win, <laughs> you cross the finish line faster than everybody else, or you don't, or or you get more home runs or more touchdowns or whatever sport you're talking about. But with um, when it comes to art, um, what is a perfect album for one person is a horrible album for somebody else. Yeah, and it's all, I've talked about this with a lot of people, it's subjective, you know what I mean? There's albums that were flops by artists that I love, and for some reason I was in tune with that artist at that moment. And then there's other albums yeah. that were huge that I don't care for, but everybody else was yeah. in tune. You know what I mean? So it's, it's subjective. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, there are those there are those really big albums that sort of, you know, everybody just loves you know yeah uh yeah but i i totally agree with you what's your uh i think i know what your favorite tnt album is is it my religion i want to say it is but i'm not sure well you know in many ways it is because 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 i think we were just going through such a creative period and i and, and from going so far far out into left field on uh firefly and transistor it was very healthy for us to do that. So that by the time we got to my religion and everybody wanted to reel us in and, and, and have us do sort of a classic uh, album that would a- appeal to everybody that loved us, um, we were sort of, um, I don't know, at a better writing level than we would have been had we not done those two albums. So then we were able to sort of say, okay, we know what to do. Let's figure out a way of doing what everybody wants but pleasing ourselves and um that's what i love about that album is we just um we were just onto something and it felt it felt real good and 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 we it was such a such a good creative period that the follow-up album which maybe isn't quite as strong in some ways has songs on it that are maybe even better than my religion which is all the way to the sun so I think that was a very good period for us. As far as 80s albums go, I think um, probably Intuition is, um, it would be would be my, my favorite from that era. Sure. 
uh, I'm glad you mentioned intuition because that's that's probably my favorite. Uh, once again, I love my religion. I I agree with you. I think you kind of brought TNT into the modern era with that one. So like elements from the past are there, but then there's modern elements too. But there's something about intuition, and I got to pick your brain about this and see see if what I can get out of you out of this. But if to me, it really doesn't sound like any of the other TNT albums. Um, and was that a conscious effort? You think were you shooting for something on this album? On intuition? Yeah. Well, it, you have to remember, I mean, we had had, and, and people that Americans wouldn't, wouldn't have felt this, but like um, the, the fact that it's a Norwegian band, except for me, I mean, uh, so Norwegian American or whatever you want to call it, the success that we had in Norway was, was insane. Um, it was equal to... Uh, if we had been, I don't know, Def Leppard or Bon Jovi over sure. here, that's what we were in Norway. So, um, you know, one out of, uh, I think, I think the figure I remember hearing is one out of one out of every 10 households in Norway had the album or something. Wow. Um, so it was quite big and we won a Grammy award over there for rock album of the year. And, uh, it was a bit, a major thing. So, and, and, so coming off of that, and, and had two really fun tours in the states, three really. But uh, um, so it was kind of it was weird. It was kind of like on one hand it was sort of the follow up for the big successful album, but it wasn't successful from you know by by most standards in the, in America <clears throat> because of such you know the vastness of this country. So. From that standpoint, we had a lot to prove, um, and it was kind of a collective thing, I think, between us and the producer. The producer had a lot to do with that album. Yeah. He wanted to do things. Um, I just kind of let stuff happen with the music. I, I was, you know, involved with the writing, of course. Um, we did write that album in Spain, also, and um, but I think um, was it conscious. I don't really know. Uh, I, I just think, you know, it's like you go through things in life and they come out in your music. And that's kind of the best way to describe a lot of things that I've done and a lot of things that I see other artists doing, with, whether they're big or not big, or is, you know, you experience things in your life, whether it be, you know, stuff to do with relationships or um, spiritual journeys or, or what, whatever it may be. And, and it, it, Normally, if that's if you're an artist, it reflects onto your songwriting and performances. So that's pretty much what I think with with uh, intuition. And that album, <clears throat> different from Telling the Tales, is we had had some pretty pretty major success in Japan, but we hadn't been there yet. But with intuition, that's the record that blew open really big in Japan. So it was very successful in other markets and probably about the same in America as Tell No Tales. I'd say there were pretty much, I think the sales were almost identical. Um, but that was the Japanese album. That was the, the big, the big tour over there and, and all that. But again, um, we were so young and we were just figuring it out. So, um, you know, we had, a, we had great people around us at the time, um, musically. So, and I think you touched on exactly what I was thinking in my in my head was was the production. 
was the producer because I feel like, and I don't want to come across as cheesy when I say this, but I feel like there's some kind of like magical sounds on there, at least I, that I hear. There's a lot of little synth accents and just little things yeah. that like give it like this, you know, magical sound. I don't, do you agree with that or am I crazy? I'm probably crazy. <laughs> no, no, I think you're, I think you're a hundred percent right. And I think the producer was um, very much into uh, what Mutt Lang was doing at the time with Def Leppard. And I think that he, um, I remember his, he, he, had a, he had a beautiful studio over there that where we did the first three albums, and he kept upgrading it all the time. And one of the things he bought before that, before that album was a um, digital tape machine. And so Intuition is one of the first hard rock albums that was done on digital tape. Mm-hmm. Hysteria was possibly the first or one of the first, very first. But Intuition was right in there as one of the early ones that was done on digital tape. Um and uh, and the producer just really had fun with that, and also the drums on Intuition are programmed like Def Leppard did, okay. so they aren't actually live played drums. They're they're programmed drums, and uh, and and of course we brought in Joe Lynn Turner to sing backing vocals yeah. with me, which was a really fun 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 experience. We were um, both in the studio at the same time with two microphones facing each other and. We became really good friends. We, we actually flew over there together to do the backing vocals. The lead vocals were already done. The album was done. Um, so the whole thing just had, it did have sort of a, a bit of a magic um, surrounding it. I would, I would agree with you. Yeah, and that's so awesome that you talk about Joe Lynn. I actually, I did talk with him, uh, I want to say about a month ago. Super cool guy. That that was that was mind blowing conversation. But uh, yeah, I love his voice on those albums, and especially if we go to the next album, Realize Fantasies. I was just listening to it before we talked. I, I think it's Rain. It is Rain. At the end, you guys are kind of going off, you know, back and forth with the vocals. And his he's just yeah. he's awesome, man. He's so cool. Oh yeah. No, he's a he's a he's a dear friend. I got to see him a year a little over. Well, it's been. I guess it's been longer than, well, I guess, gosh, I can't remember anymore. I guess it was a year ago. Wow, it's been, this, this, these last couple of years have just gone by so fast. Yeah, have. I saw him at the beginning of January of um, 2019, and yeah, he's great. He's a great guy. Now, Realize Fantasies, once again, I, you read so much crap on online, you know, little blurbs. I want to say you said something like some of the lyrics on that one make you cringe. Did you say that or no? Am I dreaming that up or no? Did you say that? No, I'm not, you know, you're not dreaming it up. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. The label was trying to pressure us after in, intuition. Um, they felt that um, the thing that would, was preventing us from being huge was um, that we weren't singing about girls and sex enough. So, oh, yeah. and, and, and whatever. <clears throat> so they brought in um, uh, a, um, another lyricist uh, lyric writer to work together with me and 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 ronnie and we were in new york working on that album on long island actually and uh and you no know, i mean some of the and even some of the stuff i wrote on my own um I, I cringe at mostly that's what i'm cringing at because the label wanted me to try to be something that i wasn't and i purposely did not want to be a band like everybody else right. i did not Want to? I remember when it when I was done, and I I always would send my new albums to my grandmother. And my <laughs> grandmother was my she was my biggest fan, and you know, I remember her. You know, 
having some negative comments about the lyrics on that because they were just a little too, they weren't even sexy. They were just kind of, there was a couple songs that were just kind of dirty. Yeah. And the songs that I'm proud of, um, that don't have that, um, is where I just did my normal Ronnie and I did our normal thing. And that's like rain and, uh, Indian summer. And, uh, um, I don't know, hard to say goodbye. I'm not sure if Hard to Say Goodbye is one of them, but, oh, Downhill Racer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just where we just did what we normally do. Uh, and, and Lionheart was actually, I would say, a successful collaboration with um, uh, with with the uh, person that came in to do, to do lyrics with us, which, mm-hmm. um, and I, I really do love that song. So it, it wasn't a complete loss. It's just, and, and most of, like I said, most of the stuff that I cringe at is is my own my own stuff where I was trying to be <laughs> trying to be something else, you know. I think the one of the things that was kind of different about TNT, whether it was a successful form uh, successful formula or not, um, was just that we wrote about things that I don't know something a little bit deeper that we, that you know I was striving for anyway. And I was lucky in that the band being Norwegian just kind of let me run with with the words. Um, some of, some of the stuff, you know, I look back and say, you know, I was growing, I was figuring it out. I wasn't maybe the best all the time. Um, but, uh, that's, that's, you know, that's part of growing as an artist, you know, you sort of try and try each time with confidence and get better. Well, I think easy street is probably my favorite TNT song out of any of the songs. So that, that's one I, I don't cringe when I hear that. I love that damn song. <laughs> That's actually you no. Know, those those lyrics are cool. That's cool, and that's another uh, successful collaboration with um, the guy that came in with us. And yeah, cool, cool track. Very, very uh, queenish, queen-like. Yes. Now you touched on something that I was going to ask you about, and I tried to get this out of Ronnie, and I, I think he alluded to it a little bit. But when you when you think back, let okay, let's skip to back to the '80s. Because you you talked about this already, you guys were singing about very positive things, uplifting things. Mm-hmm. And when we think of the Motley Crews and everybody else, they're singing about the most negative, sleazy, you know, crazy shit that you could sing about. So, do you think yeah. that hindered popularity in the U.S. your your subject matter that you guys sang about? Pro- probably, you know, probably probably in some ways. I think I think lack of good promotion from uh, from the record label and, sure. and and having a really strong manager didn't didn't. Uh, didn't help us either. So, uh, I don't think tell no tales was, was off the mark that much, even though the songs were pretty positive. I think that, um, I think it was, um, should have done a lot better. And I think had, had the label done a few things a little bit differently and released one of the ballads on there. Um, I think things would be very, very different for us, um, now or, or even soon after that. But, uh, it's not it's not stuff I dwell on that's for sure you can't um you know but but I I think that that's possibly it you know intuition was a lot more spiritual not from a secular uh place but more just generally speaking Mm -hmm. um I was reading a lot of um a lot of Buddhism uh stuff and uh stuff my grandmother was sort of um passing down to me and um was just kind of you know, coming out naturally in my words. And that's probably why it took off in Japan. They seemed to really relate to the, to the energy on that. 
Two more thoughts about Realized Fantasies. I think sonically, it's probably one of the best-sounding albums that you guys have done. <laughs> and I feel like, you know what pisses me off sometimes is that music was sounding so good, like for all the big label hard rock albums, you know, 1991, 92. And then obviously, we've talked about this on my podcast a million times, the rug gets pulled out and grunge and everything starts to sound like shit again. <laughs> Uh, it's a real, it, but it's a real shame. There were so many excellent sounding albums, but obviously they just they weren't commercial successes based on what was happening. You know what I mean? Um, well, people people that are '80s rock fans hate when they talk about this with me because I'm I'm the guy that that um, I have a little bit of a different perspective on it than the rug got pulled out and grunge came along. Uh, my opinion is that they started signing too many bands that looked and sounded the same, oh, totally. and that started in that that. Remember, a lot of people forget this. TNT came out in 84 with Knights of the New Thunder in Europe. And then 85, that same album came out over here with a few tweaks, a um, couple of extra songs, maybe some different parts added. Um, <clears throat> so we weren't, um, we weren't, we weren't uh, in, in that wave at the end. We were already kind of there. And 87 was Tell No Tales and 89 was Intuition. 92 is what you're talking about. And, that album was delayed. We had a lot of problems recording it. Um, and we finally had to take it from the producer that we did it with because we didn't like the mixes at all. And we gave it to Gary Lyons, who was the engineer on, on Night at the Opera and a ton of really brilliant classic rock albums, British guy who was living in New York City at the time. And I actually took my Mazda Miata and loaded up the, the, all the tapes uh, into my car uh, one one day and, and drove them straight into um, the hit factory in New York City and gave them to Gary Lyons. And he pulled the stuff up and was like, what happened here? Who, who recorded this? <laughs> there was a lot. When you say it sonically sounds good, he did a lot of cleanup work, and I fixed some things with him in the studio I remember, uh, recall pretty well. So he really did a great job fixing that thing because uh, it was not uh, going the right way. Um, so I have to give him a lot of credit. But um, yeah, no, I think I think I think uh, I think eighties rock. I don't like to use the word hair hair metal or whatever people call it hair bands because I think that takes all that practice that most of us did and all the work we did to be good at what we did and kind of um, reduces it to hair, <laughs> you know, which 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 is kind of kind of you know but i i get it some 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 journalists came up with that um, at some point in the 90s after it wasn't cool anymore and it just kind of caught on but you know i think i think the the genre ate itself and i don't think that's even the band's fault i think i think it's the the industry and they do it every time every time something they did it with grunge for god's sake oh, definitely. So, so every time something takes off they want let's get more of that and let's let's do more of that sign more of that and so I remember looking at those magazines back in the day, whether it be Hit Parader or Metal Edge or what or Circus or whatever, and I'm like, you know, oh, you guys are in the new, you know, and I'd open it up, and I, I just from pa in passing, as my eyes would scan the pages, I really had to concentrate to find us because as I would turn the pages, all the bands had similar hair, yep. all the bands were getting their clothes designed by Ray Brown or somebody similar. And it's just, you know, where, where are we? Oh, right, there we are, you know. So, um, you know, I mean, I, so, so I think grunge was, was a very um, 
understandable reply uh, to what was going on. And I was one of those that when I saw the Nirvana video the first time, I said, this is, this is really amazing. Mm-hmm. And this is going to, uh, this is going to be the thing, you know, when, when those bands came out. Um, so, and I don't think they were all legitimately grunge anyway. I think no. Nirvana was grunge. I think Soundgarden was kind of almost classic rock in many ways. Yeah, but, um, like Sabbath almost. Yeah, so that that's my take on it. I, I think I think it would have faded, and something else needed to come along. And to, but here's the good thing that people forget: there's no rock on the radio now. No. And as much as I, you know, I didn't love all the grunge. But I didn't mind hearing Pearl Jam or Soundgarden or Nirvana on the radio because at least it was rock. Right. I agree. There's yep. no rock now. No. Now it's just nothing. <laughs> yeah, because honestly, all it did was it went from it, the cycle just changed, but the process was the same. MTV was playing yeah. videos, radio was playing songs, albums were out. So it was still kind of happening. And then it just totally right. bottomed out and that, everything was done. It's terrible. Right. Right. So oh. thank God for. You know, thank God for Foo Fighters and a few others that kept things going. Um, you know, uh, there's been some great bands along the way. And I think that the one singer that really, you know, for me, um, and I did not, I, I liked Soundgarden, but I, I, I did like Chris Cornell more than I actually liked his band. But when his solo record came out in the late 90s, I was like, I'm completely blown away and taken by that album. And when Audio Slave came out, I was like, "This is the rock savior savior band right here," yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, so, so there there have been some really great moments along the way uh, with rock, and and I'm, there's a ton of other acts I could mention, uh, even bringing it up to present time. It's just that the the airplay and the sales are not there like they used to be. No. You know, it's funny, uh, and I know I, when I say the, the rug got pulled out from under, you know, the bands, but you know who I blame today, honestly, in retrospect, I, I at least take partial blame, I blame the fans, because when I look at albums like uh, Real Life Fantasy or Motley Crue's 1994 album, any of those albums, I bought those albums, I went out and sought those albums, but where did the rest of the fans go? You know what I mean? So they were just there for the ride because it was popular. You know what I mean? But diehard fans yeah. like myself, I still was digging trying to find when you know Vince Neil had a solo album out or whatever. I stuck by the bands. You know what I mean? So I feel the fans yeah, have to but, take some ownership too. Yeah, but you know, I, and I, I, I hear what you're saying, but in all fairness, I mean, we, we, we went to Japan on the Realized Fantasies Tour and we sold out the same places that we did on intuition but uh in all fairness um the label in america we had changed labels at that point we were on atlantic um rather than mercury and uh atlantic put out x amount of copies we made no music videos now had we made a music video for maybe lionheart for example things could be very different right you know so or rain or any number of, of songs on there. So um, they just decided after Nirvana came out and then our record came out, it was a conscious decision on their part that they were going to stick out X amount of albums, which by the way, whatever number they put out all sold. That's why that album was so hard to get for so long. Um, and, um, and they did a reissue not too long ago on colored blue vinyl. I actually have a copy 
that actually sold out. Whatever they printed sold out pretty fast. They did it in Japan and remastered it. So in all fairness, I do think the label just said, ah, this isn't going to do anything. Let's put out, you know, however many thousands of copies. They all sold, and that was it. Wow. They never ran. They never ran and did another run of of that record, and they never made any music videos. So, you know, the fans are especially then were absolutely dependent upon MTV and promotion. And there was that psychological thing of this is really being promoted, so we like this. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, it's true. I mean, if something gets played enough. Sometimes you hate it, and then you like it, and then okay, I've heard it too much, you know. But so basically, what yeah. you're saying is they just were gonna they just cut their losses. They're like, we're not gonna put any money into this because grunge is yeah, out and we're out. Can, yeah, that's can, it. Yeah, yeah. You can make an album appear to be a flop if you're a record label just by not promoting it. Right. And the fans psychologic psychologically, the fans go, ah, it just wasn't that good, you know. That's too bad. Well, hey, yeah. man, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but uh, what do you want to say to all your fans that have been following you all these years? Just thank you. You know, I, I'm super grateful. Um, I hope everybody is staying safe out there. Um, you know, this is just an, an, absolutely an insane period. Um, everybody's experiencing it. I think for the first time in, in world history, we're all experiencing the same thing. Every single person I speak to, and I have friends all over the world, Australia, New Zealand, obviously Europe, Norway, England, Germany, everywhere, everybody is Italy, for God's sake. You know, they're really having, I mean, New York City, where I just moved to Nashville from, they're really having a hard time. So, I mean, it's incredible. And what I hope to see First of all, the fans have been amazing. They want to um, support their their favorite artists. They have reached out to me. Please do some online concerts, which I will be doing. Absolutely, will be doing. So um, hopefully, they'll they'll be watching on my Facebook page and my Instagram, or you know wherever I end up doing it. Probably Facebook, which um, it's just Tony Harnell official. And uh, I'm just really grateful that I have fans. You know, I right. think that's kind of amazing when I look at it now. I think when you're young, you take a lot of things for granted, and you're just sort of oblivious to so much. But as I've gotten older now and where I'm at now, uh, I just have a huge amount of gratitude for anybody who appreciates what I've done and who understands that I've put a lot of love and effort into a lot of my um, all my work um, and and will continue to do so until I'm not doing it anymore. Um, but I just want everybody to stay safe and healthy, and I know we're going to get through this. And I hope that everybody um, takes this time to um, to just learn to love each other more. And uh, I hope everybody really grows from this experience. That's really my 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 big hope for the world is that we all grow and that the world grows from this crazy experience. Well, yeah, and that's something I for, I failed to mention. The the tour with Michael Sweet and I is still on. Okay, and it's great. just been moved. It was moved from May to September, October. So uh, if if people want to, if if people have tickets, those tickets will be honored. And if they don't, make sure you get your tickets um, for Michael Sweet, Tony Harnell, um, September, October. Uh, and this this is going to be just hopefully just the first leg of what will be more runs with uh, with he and I. 
I appreciate all the great music that you made. It's definitely made an impact on my life, and I hope that you stay safe and stay healthy, and uh, you are 100% right. We will get through this, and we'll be back uh, out doing shows and all rocking out together very soon, hopefully. All right, brother. Have a good night, man. You too. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Tony. That was an awesome conversation with Tony Harnell. But now let's talk about the 80s glam metal beatdown. I don't know if you've watched any of our episodes. We've done two, Axel versus Vince Neil and D. Snyder versus Paul Stanley. The first one got me blocked by Vince Neil. The second one I actually got tweeted by D. Snyder. So I had a miss and I had a hit. So, <laughs> so what you should do is subscribe because there's going to be tons more of those, tons more of podcasts, all kinds of crazy stuff going on. Rock on!